Yowza, 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 indeed. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Matt Kennedy, one half of the Five Films From podcast here. Wanted to take a second today before Todd and I get started on the episode to say thanks for listening. And to ask that if you've been enjoying the show, make sure you like, subscribe, and maybe even leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Doing that's going to really help us to connect with more movie-loving listeners just like you. Also, we wanted to give y'all an update on some of the stuff we're working away on for Season 2. Got a lot of good episodes lined up real soon. For example, uh, Todd's currently editing our two-part season premiere on five films from... It's actually going to be ten films from the two-part, or we're going to be doing Brian De Palma. We'll also be gonna getting into some more idiosyncratic stuff with guys like Stuart Rosenberg and Larry Cohen, as well as you know real Hollywood legends like Robert Altman and fan favorites like John Landis and Tony Scott. Again, be sure to subscribe so you can be among the first to hear all of our newest five films from content as soon as it drops. Totally. Lastly, if you're still listening, <laughs> be sure to be on the lookout for our upcoming Patreon feed. We'll be offering all kinds of bonus episodes, things like double features, commentary tracks, etc. 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 And special things like five films from directors who have only made one film and five films from the 70s disaster movie genre. Absolutely. So yeah, a lot of things lined up, good things on the horizon for FFF. And yeah, that's all I got for you. Enjoy the show. With Mac Kennedy and Todd Edmondson. Next up, we've got the 1974 movie The Yakuza, which Sidney Pollack made. Uh, screenplay by Paul Schrader and Robert Town. Yeah. Pretty. Uh, story by Leonard Schrader, you pointed out, as yeah. uh, Paul Schrader's brother. I didn't even know Paul Schrader had a brother. Yeah, and it was, I guess, it was actually inspired by, the idea was inspired by Leonard Schrader. Like, it said that uh, Paul got a letter from Leonard, who was living in Japan, um, because he was, I'm looking at this on Wikipedia now, he was teaching English at a Japanese university as a way of getting out of the draft, or like avoiding the military. Right. Uh, but he was just bored all the time because radical students shut down the campus. <laughs> so he just hung out in bars and like fucking met a bunch of Yakuza guys and like had all these crazy, uh, uh, you know, just met a bunch of people and watched a bunch of Yakuza movies on TV and uh, wrote to his brother Paul about it and was like, oh, this is a cool idea. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and, the, and the culture, the culture and the code of the... Of the, the idea of the sacrifice is what yeah, appealed to Paul Schrader, the, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the, 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 the parallels to the mafia, a couple of parallels, you know, they're... They're warriors who protect townspeople, but they also are basically just criminals. They're just criminals, yeah. Yeah. It does seem like, you know, you watch a lot of mafia movies or, you know, The Sopranos, 
and they do a lot of talk about their code and their this and that, but most of the time in those Mafia stories, that tends to just be a fig leaf for this character's finality. Like, you know, Tony Soprano doesn't really Right, right, right. Or, you know, Michael right. Corleone doesn't really get yeah. yeah, but you're, it Yeah, whether you're like, a made man or not. Right, or, yeah, yeah, it's all just kind of a fig leaf for their finality. They don't, they don't really live by themselves. I think, you know, right, Soprano exactly. Tony Soprano certainly does it. But exactly. what is so interesting about this, and we haven't even really talked about the movie, is it seems like the and I don't know about the real life Yakuza, but the characters in this film are heavy duty about their their <laughs> Very. Order. yeah yeah and they're uh, I thought the beginning of the movie was just the the, the Yakuza businessman a very cryptic uh, kind of foreboding you're a free agent yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah where they're bowing to each other and with their hand out and and explaining I'm just I'm just yeah a freelancer right and yeah. so the the movie it starts out basically with. Um, this guy, this Japanese criminal, uh, is sent to the U.S. to meet Brian Keith because... How does it happen? They had kidnapped his daughter? Is that how they start? Yeah, they kidnapped Brian Keith's daughter because Brian Keith was supposed to have purchased a bunch guns of guns from for him. For, yeah, right. The gangsters were paying him to bring guns into Japan. Which, which he did not do. Which he did not do. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so they kidnapped his daughter. And they don't, care about, the, they don't care about the money. They want the they guns. They want their guns, yeah. Right. And he ended up gambling it all in some stock market or something. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what it was. So he yeah. lost the money, and so they're, gotcha. You must return to Tokyo within four days, Mr. Tanner, and settle your business with Tono at that time. If you don't, of course I'm instructed to return again, only with more than a piece of cloth. Brian and Keith, great in this movie, is like the the... Guy who is the friend of the main guy who hires him and ends up being a bad guy. Right, in classic, World War Two, yeah. It's a classic noir trope. It's almost like Vertigo, right? Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about how you got a good guy who's, uh, well, I'll call my buddy from the war, and and that's a different kind of code, you know? Yeah, I right, was in, exactly. I was in the same unit with this guy, and those guys stick together for 20, 30, 40 years. They're always going to be in that unit. And that's in the movie, too, with yeah. the four guys. Yeah, Yeah, basically, yeah, that basically with the thread that holds them together. But he, he makes Robert Mitchum a, kind of a patsy to... To uh, to this story, which gets very convoluted, it's got a lot of twists and turns. Uh, you're not always sure exactly what's going on, but it looks kind of cut and dried. They want he wants uh, Robert Mitchum to go to Japan, who has a history with a woman there who has a daughter. Uh, he she would never marry him, and they were in love. But um, he saves uh, he, he he saves uh, he sa yeah he saves this woman and he saves Ken. Sister. One day in a skirmish with some American troops, Eko was nearly killed. Harry prevented that. Nearly wound up in the stockade in the process. Anyway, that's how they met. Then in 1951, Eko's brother Tanaka Ken returned from the dead. He'd been living for six years in the jungle caves of the Philippines. He thanked Harry for rescuing Eko and for saving her daughter. But he told Aiko he could no longer talk to her. She had placed him forever in debt to his enemy and it was torture for him. Ken left his sister, became one of the most successful Yakuza in occupied Tokyo. Aiko, meanwhile, would no longer see Harry, much less marry him. So when his enlistment was up, he borrowed $5,000 from George, bought a coffee shop and bar, and gave it to Echo as a sayonara gift. She called it Kilmer House, 
but she still runs it today. What about her brother? Where is he now? Tanaka Ken. That's what Harry's come a very long way to find out. The key figure in this story is this Yakuza named Ken, who Robert Mitchum has got to deal with. Yeah, and uh, Ken uh, Ken feels obligated to mention for saving his, his sister. His sister, well, yeah. You yeah, his sister his is the... Wife. Yeah, that's the explanation up front, but... Um, yeah, it gets more. I thought. I thought you know that the the uh, basically you always got yakuza guys. They play um, some kind of dice or card or domino. The domino game, type of game. Yeah. On a big mat, this is like a long, almost looks like a long dining room table with no legs, and they sit on the floor and they play this game. They're always gambling, and they burst in the 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 doc, Brian Keith's daughter is, is is on the floor, and they burst in and they kind of kill everybody and get the daughter back. And, with the uh, help of Ken. Yeah. With the help of Ken, yeah. who said <clears throat> he's a master. He teaches people at, at school how to become, how to become, I guess, samurai-type warriors. Uh, it's just like a martial arts kind of school, but he says, I haven't picked up a sword in 10 years. Right, he left. He's no longer a Yakuza right. anymore, right? Right, And yet it seems like, and, and as the movie goes on, it seems like, to me, like that was too easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems it like, sort of seems exactly it, like that. Yeah, and as you get into the story, it seems kind of like a setup. And you can then the sort of specifics about how Brian Keith was actually in cahoots with the first gangster that we met at the beginning. But a lot of this plot is kind you know, it's plot, right? You know, yeah, that's yeah. not really what I'm specifically interested in. What I'm really interested in this movie is the idea of because during the war, when this guy Ken was in hiding, you know, uh, sort of still thinking that the war was on after it ended, he didn't come back for another two years. And meanwhile, Robert Mitchum had taken up with his quote-unquote sister, who's actually his wife. It turns right? out it's actually his wife. It's a lot like Casablanca. Right. Yes, yeah, that's how I thought of it. Right, like, right. That's a good like, point. He's like Victor Laszlo. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's sort of situation like that. And much like Casablanca, the ending, you know, is sort of about a guy making this decision about, like, who sort of, like, understanding, like, the role he played and if he really loves someone to actually get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you love somebody, let him go, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and this sense of obligation, this a very intense sense of obligation that Ken has, uh, and through all of this, some great sword fighting, too, by the way, uh, yeah. as, it gets, as it gets near the end of the movie, it's not your Hong Kong kind of. I remember reading an article about, um, I had a friend that I worked with who was just nuts about Hong Kong martial arts movies um, and how hard they were to find. I remember reading an article about how they um, somebody thumped a watermelon and that became like the kick to the chest kind of sound. Oh yeah, and sure. They, and they yeah. used it over and over. Yeah, and the yeah, sword, sure. the sword, and uh, they tried like straw bags of straw and watermelons, and you know they're always going for these sounds. And in the Hong Kong, uh, you know, martial arts movies are way over the top. This movie feels very, very gritty. It's very realistic. Uh, it's not. It's not fantastical. Uh, in the, in the sense of it's not a martial arts movie, but the fight scene is very very there, intense. Yeah, I agree. And there's like the violence definitely has impact in that like you know Robert Mitchum just has it's his face. You know, he just seems so weary from a lifetime of violence. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like he yeah. Walks around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you just can't you can't get away with it. Get away from it. I mean. And, uh, yeah, he eventually does get away from it, and everybody gets their obligations out of the way and, and, uh, and without giving up the ending. It's, it's really good how Mitchum handles it, and, 
and how he deals with his own friendship. His friend basically right, yeah, fucks it, him over. Your, yeah. yeah, his and it's the idea of the how worth it is his code of honor with his buddies in the military versus the code of honor that Ken is talking about and how one is not really worth a whole lot and one is clearly like worth much more. When my brother spoke of you as a unique stranger, I took it to mean that you were a Westerner who held values consistent with ours. That a man pays his own debts, discharges his own obligations. That they are all that make him a man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. Brian Keith was, you know, his Marine buddy or Army buddy, whatever it was, was clearly uh, betraying him all the time, set him up to be to be the patsy. Exactly. And, and, you know, you don't find out until the really, really the chips are down who... Who's who and what's what, and he also understands why. Why um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't. Herb Edelman places his buddy who lives. Yeah, he's there. always got a cat. He, he, yeah, cat. he must yeah. be. He must be like the Leonard Schrader character because he's yeah, not, the teacher, right? Yeah, he's yeah. the teacher, and he lives there, and he's clearly American. Uh, he was also part of their Marine unit, but he just stayed behind and was a teacher. Right, yeah. right. Uh, he he's sort of pivotal in the sense, like he's kind of a home base. He's got a lot of weapons, and he explains to the guys sort of like a little bit of like you got to treat things differently here. Yeah, yeah. Here's how you got to handle this. Um, Brian Keith has a young. Um, it's not his son, is it? It's his nephew or no, something. No, it's just it's a. Uh, like I think uh, the son of one of their other old friends who's died. Yeah, like and they, like they've that. all they've known him since he was a little kid. Yeah, so he dusty. gets sent along. He's basically. Richard Jordan, who I think is great. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what I'd seen him in, but he was very prominent there in, in movies as like a secondary. He was uh, in the, another Mitchum film called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Yeah, that's yeah, right. And he's been in a. He was also in David Lynch's Dune. He's in a lot of random stuff. From yeah, yeah, he's yeah. got a very striking face and looks a little bit like James Mason, but like younger. Yeah, yeah. He 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 admits he admits eventually that Brian Keith just sent him there to keep an mm-hmm. eye on Mitchum as like a spy, and he turns he turns uh, sides. For, he changes sides and well, says, "I want to help." Some of he's actually got a great role because some of his conversations with Ken and with the Herb Edelman character who knows Japan kind of are our way of understanding this culture and sort of like letting us, the audience, into the code of, the, of Japan is through this guy, Dusty. And uh, right. He's, he's sort of an audience surrogate, at least in the first half of the movie. Exactly, yeah. yeah the really Ron, interesting uh, conversation he has with the daughter of the woman yeah. that Mitchum is in love with, that's supposedly Ken's sister, but uh, it's explained to him later. That who, is, who explains to him that they said, oh, he, she's Ken's really Ken's other wife. Brother. I'm not Eiko's brother. On the other hand, neither is King. King is her husband. When he returned five years after the war, he found you with his wife. He was enraged that she was living with a foreigner, and yet grateful to you for saving her life. In any case, King is a tormented man. It is Eiko, of course, but it is also Japan. King is a relic, a leftover from another age and another country. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right, because the Ken, yeah. So, Ken's other brother, he's like a, he's like a court of a gray temple, to, he's a Yakuza like advisor. Like a or something. Type yeah. guy, but uh, unofficial, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and he explains that, that uh, Ken had 
That was his wife, and that's why she wouldn't marry Robert Mitchell. And that's right. Yeah, that's like that's why he never understood why. Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, uh, Ken was like Victor Laszlo actually this whole time off fighting. Uh, but exactly. So I know, like the plot, it probably sounds to people listening like total nonsense because the plot is sort of hard to get across. But I think a lot of uh, like a lot of noir, a lot a, of the a, crime a, stories, a lot of twists and turns, a, a lot, lot of characters of... that almost seem superfluous, but then you find out that they're not. So it's hard to really explain. But there's just a lot to like here, especially in the relationship between the characters. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. The acting all the way around. You you don't know who the Japanese actors are at all, but they're... Takakura Ken is this main guy who also played the character Ken, and I guess he's a huge star in Japan, and uh, Sidney Pollack was thinking this was going to make him a big star in America, because he's he's great, man. He's He's wonderful. Really great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a stud, too. I think he's awesome. Yeah, 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 he is. Yeah. And that didn't happen. They're all really good, and just intense... There's just an intense movie. It's in, their fingers off left Yeah, and it's right. as intense as uh, they shoot horses, don't they, in a different, in a different, well, different but, way. But. And it hits you in a... Like I said, there's a certain like special type of sympathy I don't often feel when I saw Jane Fonda. I also felt a very specific type of emotional bond with Mitchum and Ken in this movie. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't often... like, Especially between two men, there's not that kind of like... They don't really like each other, but they have this this, like, unshatterable obligation and even love friendship for each other. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's a... I can't even put it into words. It's just worth watching. It's a wonderful movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you and when when you see the ending and you see how, how everybody performs and how, how it all turns out, uh, it's just... Uh, it's yeah. a magnificent story. I really agree. A couple of things that aren't, you know, just details that I wanted to note that I took notes on is... Brian Keith's office in this movie in Japan <laughs> looks like something out of Twin Peaks with the red and black striped rooms and the crazy uh, the wood panel room. It, it looks really cool. Each room is like a different color scheme. He's got like these plaid pants yeah, in this I one scene. I just about died. It's just too it him. In the blue room. It, was it, just... it looks like right out of this year's catalog from the, from the late 60s. Really hip. And how about the room where it was like the bathhouse that he, Robert Mitchum was in with Richard Jordan? Oh, man, with, with a the, fish tank the, in the, the middle the of the... The green water and the red walls on the lights. Yeah, and they're trying to they, they try to kill him there, and that didn't work. Uh, where there is a scene, it's a bar or a restaurant where um, there's music going on, live music, which I thought was great because at some point they sing "My Darling oh, Clementine." Oh my darling, oh my darling, oh my darling Clementine, you are lost and gone forever. But the song they sing before, because this, I guess, you know, the the stereotype, I guess it's true, but I guess Japanese po- people like karaoke. It's really popular. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, they're singing Oh My Darling Clementine, but the song they sing right before that is like this weird, saccharine, like self-aggrandizing. <laughs> Oh, 
a Yakuza always pays his debts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the craziest yeah, thing yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah, it really is funny. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, uh, yeah, this is like the mafia singing, you know, it's like Jerry Vale. Or, yeah, or somebody, exactly. It's you know, very somebody, similar to those, yeah. like, blubbering ballads you hear. Yeah, movies. yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. You get to dance with your wife in her fur coat. <laughs> yeah, Ken, uh, the Ken character at one time, like I said here, very complicated levels of obligation and custom, but Japanese versus American, and Ken refers to it as the burden. The burden, yes. The burden is that it doesn't matter who you're obligated to or what the circumstances are. Everybody's obligated to somebody, and that's your and, burden. And he explains it to Richard Jordan of, like... Miss Giri. Giri. Hi. It means obligation, right? Burden. Burden. It's called the burden hardest to bear. Yeah, well... Suppose you don't bear it. I mean, no one's gonna come down on you. No. Well, you guys believe in some kind of heaven or hell? No. Then what is it that you believe in that makes you do it? Giddy. Don't worry about that, Dusty. Yeah, exactly. You said exactly. something like that. Yeah, you're like, not going to get it. Yeah, if you don't get it yeah. now, you're never going to uh, get it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and I don't know if I get it necessarily, but I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> it's a hell of a film. Uh, Absolutely great. First uh, time of, of uh, first of th uh, the four Dave Grusin scores we're going to see as well. I oh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Because Grusin. Dave Grusin's a man, and Sidney Pollock uh, collaborates him, with him a lot in these next coming movies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's a must-see. Get it, get it while it's hot. And meanwhile, do not expect to win. Do not expect to lose. Expect nothing. That's canned for it. There you <laughs> go. All right. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.